Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, December 3rd, 2022, a cold December morning in Chicago. We're broadcasting from the northwest side of the city, and it's uh, it's hard to believe we're in the last month of the year already. It goes by so fast, and uh, we really need to redeem the time, like the Apostle Paul tells us. But it is, it's Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, my name is David Canfield. I'll be your host for this hour on the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. And if you want to send us an email, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, let's, let's begin the program this morning with a little prayer that the Lord would really help us uh, speak these things forth. Father, we just give this time to you. We just cast ourselves upon you upon your mercy and your grace for the utterance, for the way to speak forth these truths of your gospel and of your kingdom. Shame the enemy. Shatter the kingdom of darkness. We bind to the authority of the air as this word goes out over the airwaves, Lord. Do you cause the right ones to hear, to tune in, to really receive the help, to, to, to realize something more of your desire and of your gospel. For your sake and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So the topic this morning is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, last week, of course, if you were listening or if you've listened to the podcast, we said in the New Testament you have three different gospels. There's the gospel of the kingdom, there's the gospel of grace, and then there's the eternal gospel. So the first two gospels that we mentioned, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace, these are very much related. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel... Uh, let me start over because I'm not sure I got that right. There's the gospel of the kingdom, there's the gospel of grace, and then the eternal gospel. So the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace are very much related to each other. But the eternal gospel is distinct. I'll say just a little bit more about that before we, we come back to the gospel of the kingdom. The eternal gospel, that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 and 7. And in Revelation 14, it's a thumbnail sketch of the whole uh, tribulation time period when God is rises, rising to judge the earth. And during that time, of course, uh, according to the Bible, Antichrist will be forcing people to, uh, and his false prophet will be forcing uh, the, those who dwell on the earth to take an image on their hand or on their forehead and to worship uh, the Antichrist. But there will be an angel flying in mid-heaven warning people not to do that. And here's what this angel says. It's in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And I, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So this is, this is the eternal gospel. This eternal gospel is you look at the heavens and you look at the earth and you see the wonders of God's creation. And in particular, in the, in the Great Tribulation, it's not just that you see the creation. There's going to be an angel preaching this gospel, warning people that you need to, to look at the heavens and the earth. And you need to, when you see these things, you need to worship God and worship the one who, who made these things. If you do that, you're going to have your sins forgiven. That's the eternal gospel. Well, today, there's no angel preaching that gospel. 
But many people all over the world who never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ have heard this gospel. Now, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19, right? And uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us that the things, uh, God's eternal characteristics can be known by the things made. So these people who've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ have heard this gospel. And some of them, because of that, are going to fear God in a genuine way and worship him in a genuine way. And when they do that, their sins are forgiven. Now, you do not receive eternal life through this kind of gospel. But because your sins are forgiven, you will enter into eternal blessing uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, a lot of Christians assume that only the saved believers will be there in eternity. But uh, Revelation chapter uh, 21 verse 24 is talking about the new Jerusalem. And it says the nations will walk by its light. Uh, the nations of those, the nations shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it, into the new Jerusalem. So you have the nations still in eternity. And these are the, these are the saved, um, I sh maybe a better way to say it, these are the forgiven Gentiles who heard the eternal gospel and worshiped God and feared him. There's nothing in that gospel about believing in Jesus Christ, about repenting and opening your heart to receive him as your savior. That's not that gospel. This gospel is the gospel of creation that enables you to enter into the blessing, a blessed state in eternity as one of the nations. Now, you don't have the highest blessing through this gospel. The highest blessing is the New Testament gospel where you have Christ coming to live inside of you so that you're regenerated to be a child of God. Now, these, uh, we as the believers will be reigning forever and ever. That's a Revelation 22.5. And we reign over the nations, these nations who were not regenerated, but who did have their sins forgiven. And now that will be a, uh, in Revelation 14 when it's talking about that. That's especially during the Great Tribulation. But the principle of the eternal gospel applies today. And I gave the example last week of in Luke 18 of the tax collector who went up to, to the temple to pray with the, and the Pharisee also went up, Jesus said. Uh, and and the, the tax collector, all he did, he just cried out to God, oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He didn't offer a sacrifice like you're supposed to in the Old Testament. He didn't believe in Jesus like you're supposed to in the New Testament. But Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified because he was one who worshiped God in a genuine way. He realized he was a sinner. And he, that could be, the reason why that could be is because the principles of this eternal gospel are, all, are always in effect. And it produces people who will be, as I say, the nations in eternity. Not the children of God, but the nations who are ruled over by the children of God. So that's the eternal gospel. And that's distinct from the other two gospels that we have in the New Testament which are the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. And these two gospels are very much related to each other. You could really say they're two aspects of the same gospel, of, of the New Testament gospel. might be a better way to say it, actually. So the gospel of uh, grace, that's in Acts 20, uh, verse 24. And this is when the Apostle Paul is uh, saying his farewell to the believers in Ephesus, to the elders in Ephesus. And he tells them, I have, to, I have so many, I have a lot of uh, verses marked in my Bible today. There's a lot of different things to cover, so I'm a little hard to turn to these things sometimes. But in uh, Acts 20, 24, Paul is saying he knows he faces uh, uh, opposition. 
and suffering and persecution everywhere he goes, in every city he faces. But then in Acts 20, 24, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So this verse speaks about the gospel of the grace of God. And the gospel of the grace of God emphasizes that when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven, and we receive the divine life. We're born again to become Christians, uh, to become the very children of God, because we have God's life now. We have God's own life. It's not a metaphor. We are really the children of God because we've received his divine life. Just, because, just in the same way, you are your parent's child because you have their life. We're children of God according to the New Testament because we have received his divine life. If you've opened your heart to the Lord and said, Lord, I want you to be my savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want you to come and live inside of me. That makes you a genuine, real child of God. You know, one thing I'll say is that a lot of Christians have this false concept that we are God's adopted children because there's this terrible, terrible translation of this word in most translations of the New Testament today. It says uh, we've been, a, a number of verses talk about we've been adopted. That's not the right way to translate that word. We take our place as sons is a better way to say that. You can't say we're adopted children because we have God's life. There is a legal aspect to our relationship with God, but you can't say that's a, you can't refer to that as being adopted because we are his natural born children. Uh, John uh, chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. It's a very, very important concept in the New Testament to be clear about. We are God's actual, natural-born children because we have his life. And according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we have his nature. You cannot receive God's life without receiving his nature. And that's why we're God's children. And that's the emphasis of the gospel of grace. Praise the Lord. And, and like, like I say, this, the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom are very much related to each other, not really two distinct gospels. But there's something more than the gospel of grace in the New Testament, and that's the gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel uh, is what uh, Matthew uh, records, the Lord speaking of, in Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 14. And I'll just read this verse. This is where Jesus is uh, speaking of the end of this age. And he says, uh, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So here you have the gospel of the kingdom. And that's really what we want to focus on this morning. What's the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace? You know, it's, uh, the Lord here makes it clear that it, it, it's the, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached, that's when, in all the earth, that's when the end of the age is going to come. Well, praise the Lord. This morning, here in Chicago, on the northwest side of the city, at least a little bit, we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. And that's a real sign, a real sign that the end of this age is getting much closer. You know, the... Uh, Anyone who, who studies the Bible understands that the revelation 
of God's truth in the Bible is progressive. Bit by bit, line upon line, it unfolds all through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, you have um, the creation of man, and there you see God's purpose for mankind, right? He created us in his image and likeness. He wants us to rule over the earth on his behalf. In Genesis chapter 2, you see the way God carries out his purpose is by imparting himself into human beings because he puts us in front of the tree of life and wants us to eat and partake of that tree. That means we receive God. It's a picture of how we receive God as our divine life. In chapter 3 of Genesis, you have the fall, how Satan came in to mar God's purpose. And then you also have the first preaching of the gospel. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, talking to Satan, God says, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It's a remarkable prophecy uh, about the redemptive work of Christ all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So these... um, These are seeds of the divine truth that grow up all throughout the rest of the Bible. And all through the Bible, it's a progressive, progressive, progressive revelation of God's truth more and more fully. Well, the recovery of the understanding of God's truth is also progressive. Just like the revelation is progressive, the recovery of the truth has also been progressive. Bit by bit, uh, you know, decade by decade, Decade by decade or century by century, the believers in Christ have come into a fuller understanding of what the scriptures unveil to us. You know, the, you had the, the revelation, the divine revelation was closed at, at, by the end of the first century. There's no new revelation. Uh, you know, the writings of John uh, finished the divine revelation. There's no, God has nothing more to reveal after that. But our insight into that revelation, our understanding of that revelation has been increasing bit by bit. Now, for a long time, uh, the Bible was pretty much locked away. There was the Dark Ages, and there wasn't much happening uh, in that regard. But then, uh, in the 1300s, 1400s, some men began to turn back to the Bible. Uh, William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, John Huss began to realize we need to search the Scriptures in a fuller way to find out what they show us about God and His purpose. And they stressed our authority has to be the written word of God. That was really the beginning of the recovery of God's truth. And then in uh, the 1500s with Martin Luther, there was a big, big uh, step forward in the recovery of the truth. That's when people began to understand justification is by faith. It's not by works. We believe in Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven. That's when we're justified. God, Christ accomplished redemption on the cross. When we believe in Jesus Christ, God says, okay, I'm going to take that payment that he made for your sins on the cross and I'm going to apply that for your, to your account so that you're justified. And I think I said this last week, uh, a very good way to remember the meaning of justification is it's justified, never sinned. God counts us as being righteous because the payment Christ made on the cross for our sins has been applied to my debt of sins. So now, righteously, he has a righteous way to forgive us. Praise the Lord for that. That's really the gospel of grace um, that Martin Luther really saw in, in, in the 1500s, and just a tremendous recovery of the truth. But the recovery of the truth didn't stop there. It's been going on ever since, bit by bit and stage by stage. After Martin Luther... Uh, you know, people felt they were justified by faith, but they, they didn't really have much of a living that was any kind of a testimony for Christ. So there were some other believers in Christ who, who rose up and they felt, no, we have to have some kind of a sanctified living. They were the pietists. A lot of those were in Germany. Uh, and they wanted to live a holy life. 
After them, in the, the 1600s, you had uh, more, much more of an understanding that if you want to live a holy life, you have to have some experience of the indwelling Christ. It's by this indwelling Christ that we're enabled to live a holy life. They call it the inner life, the mystics. Um, some people call it. And the main one in that uh, recovery was Madame Guyon. Um, her writings have been a huge help to so many servants of the Lord ever since that time about what it means to know something of Christ is your life. In the 1700s, you had uh, a group uh, called the Moravian Brethren, and they began to see that if we're living a holy life by Christ is our life, then we should have a corporate testimony. Uh, as believers in Christ, we should live together in a harmonious life, love one another. That's how the world's going to know that we're the disciples of Christ. That's what the Lord said. And so they began to have a real experience of the corporate uh, living of the Christian life there in, in the estates of a man named Count Zinzendorf. He was really the, really the leader of that movement. John Wesley was one who was very much helped by them. Uh, he didn't eventually uh, uh, stay with them. He went out and he preached the gospel, he, he, but he very much appreciated them and was very much helped by them. In the 1800s, you had the Plymouth Brethren come along, and they also stressed very much this matter of uh, how we bear a corporate testimony, but they saw much, much more than what the Moravian Brethren did. They began to really see something. God wants to have the body of Christ on the earth expressed in local assemblies. Uh, that, that, they just called themselves brothers. Uh, they, they came out of all the denominations. They rejected denominationalism. The Moravians saw something about living in harmony, but they never saw the evils of denominationalism. The Plymouth Brethren did, and they separated themselves from all the, the, the uh, fallen denominationalism uh, uh, that so many Christians get involved with, and they simply came together as brothers. That's why they're called the Plymouth Brethren. Uh, and the leader of uh, the, the brothers at that time was a man named John Nelson Darby. But there were so many who uh, did so much to recover the truth. And there was just a, a tremendous opening of God's word at that time in terms of prophecy, understanding biblical prophecy in the end times and the rapture and the great tribulation, uh, typology, looking at, uh, at the Old Testament and seeing so much of Christ in all the different types of the Old Testament. Uh, that was just a wonderful recovery of, of the truth and other, other things as well. And... Uh, so, so all of that is to show that the recovery of God's truth is ongoing. Well, in the 1800s, another aspect of the truth that was began to be recovered was this understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. And this was really through a man named Robert Govett. Now, he lived in the 1800s. He died in 1901. And he was the first one who really began to stress this matter. Now, as I say, the gospel of grace uh, emphasizes that if we believe in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we receive divine life. But there's more to the gospel than that if we really want to be followers of Christ. That has to do with the gospel of the kingdom. You know, the Lord uses this phrase in, in the gospel of Matthew. So when he says, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in the whole inhabited earth, what the New Testament is showing us is that the, the contents of this gospel are really what you see in the gospel of Matthew. And what Matthew shows us is a living that God justifies. Not just that my sins are forgiven, but now I have a living under God's authority. I'm living a life, a kind of life that God will justify. Now, to understand this more uh, 
What this means is we have to be clear, the coming age is not eternity. Between the end of this age and eternity, there's going to be the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. That's called the millennium. Uh, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 4 and 6, uh, it talks about the believers living and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Well, I've already mentioned it in, in Revelation 22, verse 5, it says the believers are going to reign forever and ever. Well, which is it? Do we reign for a thousand years or do we reign forever and ever? Well, the answer is all the believers will reign with Christ for, a for eternity, forever and ever. All the believers will participate in that reigning with Christ. But not all the believers will reign with Christ for that 1,000 years. That's for the overcoming believers, the believers who lived life under the authority of the heavenly king. They lived, in other words, according to the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the, this gospel of the kingdom is not distinct from the gospel of grace. It includes the gospel of grace. There's no way you're going to enter into a living under God's heavenly authority apart from uh, your experience of the gospel of grace, of having your sins forgiven and receiving eternal life. You have to be born again to live a life for the kingdom. That's what Jesus says in John uh, chapter 3, verse 3, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on and he says, um, verse 5, unless you're uh, born of water in the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse John chapter 3, verse 7, that's why I tell you, you must be born again. You must be born again if you want to live a life for the kingdom. So that's the entry into the kingdom of God. But to live according to uh, the kingdom of God, we have to realize there's something more uh, than simply believing and uh, receiving God's grace. To live in the kingdom of God, I have to be one who's under the authority of the heavenly king. That's the gospel of the kingdom. You know, at the, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, of course, in Matthew 24, 14, that's where he says this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in the whole inhabited earth. Then at the, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, in chapter 28, he says, um, uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what does the gospel of the kingdom do? The gospel of the kingdom produces disciples. The gospel of grace produces believers in Jesus Christ, which is wonderful, praise the Lord. But as the believers in Christ, as those who have received the gospel of grace, we need to realize there's something much more for us to enter into. We need to follow Christ, not just to be believers. We need to be disciples, those who are living under the authority of the heavenly king. No, that's that's the result. For that, we need this gospel of the kingdom, and uh, uh, we need. And basically, in what we're doing, what I'd like to do right now is just help believers to be have a deep impression. I need to be one who is living under the authority of the heavenly King, because I've heard this gospel of the kingdom, and I want to be a follower. I don't just want to be a believer in Christ. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Now, there's a very interesting fact about this word disciple in the New Testament. Uh, it's really something. It's mentioned, it's used over 250 times, but every single time it appears, it's in the books of history. 
the Gospels and the book of Acts, in other words. It never once appears in the epistles. Never once. Now, you have the word discipline a few times in the epistles, but never the word disciple. And so people wonder, why is it? Because it's not a coincidence, obviously. I mean, that, that couldn't happen by chance. So there's a reason why it appears in, in that first section and not in the latter section. And there's some believers who feel, and, I, and, and I'm concerned that a lot of believers may have been influenced by this kind of teaching. They may say, well, that's because today we're, we're grace believers. We're not supposed to be disciples. We're grace believers. And pe- some people have a strong teaching that way. But when you look at the word in, in, in the book of Acts, it is used in relation to the Gentiles. And like Jesus said in the verse we just quoted, he told the the, the, the early apostles make disciples of all the nations, right? So you can't say this, this word is not for the Gentiles. It's, it's, it's only for the Jews, for the early believers, as some say. So I, that's not a uh, uh, legitimate explanation of why that is. And there's no specific word in the New Testament that tells us why that is. But when you consider the structure of the New Testament, I think you get a pretty good idea of why that used is why that word is only used in the Gospels, in the Book of Acts. So this, and that structure is: the books of history show us the experience and the living out of the Christian life, what it means to really live for Christ on the earth. Whereas the books uh, later in the New Testament, the epistles in the Book of Revelation, give us the teaching about that life. And those teachings are crucial. You can't live the Christian life without those teachings. You need to have those. But because that word only appears in the books of history, it seems to me it's giving us an indication. If you're satisfied to have the teachings, if you want to have some knowledge of the Christian life, you don't need to be a disciple. Then it's okay. Then you can just be a believer. For that, it's okay. It's adequate to be a believer. But if you want to enter into the real experience, the real living out, of what the New Testament shows us in the books of history. For that, you must be a disciple. You have to be one who's living under the authority of the heavenly king, allowing the Lord to deal with you day by day, to discipline you day by day, and so many dealings with the Lord to, to, to show us how we're short, how we're not following him as we should be, to be exposed by his shining, to take the cross, um, to follow him even through suffering, That's the kind of life you need to live if you want to be one who enters into the experience, the real experience of what the New Testament shows us about the gospel of the kingdom. So that's, and and again, can you be definite about that? No, Uh, but it does seem to me that's a pretty reasonable explanation of why that word is used as it is in the New Testament. And uh, on the website, thechristianfaith.org, we have an article, and I'll link to that in the notes for the podcast. It's called Believers or Disciples, where basically I make this same point. So as the believers in Christ today, we should be those who are also disciples. We should not be satisfied just to be a believer. You know, Witness Lee uh, is a brother who's helped me a great deal. Uh, his writings have helped me a great deal. And um, recently I read a book of his called What the Kingdom is to the Believers. And I appreciate this uh, statement. He's talking about Luke chapter 14. And he makes a statement about the difference between a believer and a disciple. And I'll just read that. To be a believer today is rather simple and easy, but it is not as simple to be a disciple. Luke 14 records that when many came to follow Jesus, he said to them that if anyone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own soul life, he cannot be his disciple. 
The Lord did not say that he is unworthy to be his disciple, but that he cannot be his disciple. To be a believer is simple. Once we pray, confess, repent, believe, and receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we are a believer, a saved one. However, it is inadequate to be merely a believer. Every believer should also be a disciple, one who is trained, ruled, led, disciplined, and dealt with by the Lord's kingdom. Because the Lord's desire is for us to be his kingdom and to be trained under his authority, after we become believers, we must learn to submit to his authority in order to become his disciples. So I think it's a very, very good word. And it's, we shouldn't be satisfied just to be a believer in Christ. We need to be those who are the disciples of Christ so he can gain his kingdom on the earth today. And that's much more than simply being a believer. It means we really give ourselves to the Lord and allow him to deal with us, to bring us under his heavenly ruling for the sake of his eternal kingdom. Praise the Lord. So that'll be enough for uh, this segment of the program. In the next segment, we will come back and share some more on this topic and, uh, and hopefully get into something else related to this as the Lord allows as we have time. So we will see you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And again, if you want to send us uh, a note if, with any comments or questions about what you're hearing on the program today, you can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. We'd love to hear from you and, and get your thoughts. So I want to continue to say a little bit more about this gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and then, as I say, as the Lord allows, I'm hoping to get into another somewhat related topic. Because Christians today just have so little concept of this gospel of the kingdom. So many Christians feel my sins are forgiven and that's enough. You know, in, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, uh, that's just after the Lord ascended, ascended up into the clouds. He, verse 9, Now when he, the Lord, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So many believers today are just like this. They're just standing there gazing into heaven. 
Well, we should be those who are looking for the Lord's return. For sure, that's so crucial. We should have a real sense. The Lord is coming back. My home is not in this age. But we should not be just standing around gazing into heaven. We need to be diligently seeking to live a life that will bring God's kingdom to the earth. That's what the Lord has called us to do. But so many believers, once they get saved, they, you know, they take what I call the heaven drug. The heaven drug. It's like Satan comes up, comes up to him right after they get saved and says, congratulations, you're saved. You're going to heaven. It's going to be wonderful. And gives him a big injection. Now you just sit around and wait, and wait to go to heaven because he doesn't want us doing anything on the earth today for God's kingdom. We shouldn't be like that. We should be believers who are really standing for and struggling to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, in Luke uh, chapter 13, uh, someone asks the Lord, he says, are, are there many who are being saved? It's really striking what the Lord says. The Lord answers, struggle to enter into the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. Do you see what the Lord says in this verse? He's saying here, many who seek to enter in are not going to be able to enter in. So you have to struggle to enter in. It's, it's not adequate even to seek to enter in. Now this verse, excuse me, is not talking about the gospel of grace. It's not talking about the forgiveness of sins. There's no struggle involved in that. For that, you, you simply open your heart and you say, Lord, I want you to be my savior. Come and live inside of me. So this is not talking about just having our sins forgiven. And in the context, he goes on here. He talks about those who are going to be in the kingdom. Just shortly after these verses, you can look it up again. It's in Luke chapter 13. These are verses 23 and 24. So he's talking about how to enter into the kingdom. And for that, he's saying, it is not adequate even to be a seeker of the Lord. There are a lot of people today who are seeking the Lord, but you need something more. You need to be one who struggles to enter into the kingdom of God because it's not easy. We face real opposition on the earth today if we seek to live a life for the sake of the kingdom. It does take a real struggle. So, uh, not an easy word to speak. Uh, and not an easy word, I know, to hear. We like to hear uh, the free part. Okay, I've told this story before, but it's a good illustration. Uh, you know, when my, my brother and I were, oh, I don't know, um, maybe 10 years old or a little bit around that, around that age, uh, one summer day, we went to the ice cream, went to a store, a grocery store, rather, with one of our friends, uh, John. I won't say his last name, but uh, uh, because we wanted to get some ice cream. And back then, this was in the uh, late 60s, maybe around 1970, you could go into a store and you could, you know, if, if, they, if you just wanted one ice cream bar, you can open up a box of ice cream bars and then take one out and just pay for the one. So there was this box of ice cream bars there, and John saw it, and on the box it said, one free in every box. So we opened up the box and he took an ice cream bar out and he walks through the checkout line. He tells the cashier, I took the free one. <laughs> he was joking, of course. He had to pay for it, which he knew he would have to do. But what I like about that illustration is that's the way so many Christians treat the New Testament. It's just exactly like that. You know, we, the New Testament's a box, so to speak. And inside that box, there's a free gift. It is really so. And that's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is there. And it's, it, you open your heart and you believe in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. That's all you have to do. Praise the Lord for that. That's a wonderful gift from God. But you can't, in the way God's arrangement is, it's a little different from the grocery store. You can't just open that up and take out that one. Like even 
Even our friend John couldn't do that. He had to still to pay for it. In God's uh, administration, you have to take the whole box. You get the free one when you take the whole box. And that whole box includes the gospel of the kingdom. I like the free part. I wish I could just take that free part and not worry about the rest. But God says, no, you can't do that. You get the free part when you believe in me. But there's this whole box, the whole New Testament, about what it means to be a follower in Christ, a believer in Christ, and even more, a disciple of Christ for the sake of his kingdom. And that involves suffering and involves hardship and involves paying a price to follow the Lord. And you take that whole box, then you get the free part as well. Praise the Lord. But it's not easy because we face real opposition in this age uh, that we're living in. And so that brings us to this other topic that I wanted to talk about. And that has to do with the enemy that we have to deal with. A very big part uh, of a very big part of why God calls us to establish his kingdom on the earth is that he wants to use his believers to deal with his enemy, Satan. And we have to be clear, God does not rule over this world directly. Uh, he calls us eventually in eternity, he wants to rule over the world through his believers, reigning forever and ever on his behalf. But in ages past, he delegated the rule over this world to one of his angels. At that time, he, named, he was named Lucifer. He was given rule over this world. And then he fell. He became Satan. Right? So, but he still has his position as the ruler of this world. You know, three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself refers to him as the ruler of this world. That is uh, a rightful title that Satan has. He does does not, of course, he didn't get it as Satan. He got it before he fell. But it is still his rightful title and, in a sense, his rightful position. Now, in John 12, 31, Jesus says the ruler of this world has been cast out. He's talking about the death of Christ, his death on the cross. He was going to destroy Satan and, and his work. But that's in a moral sense. The carrying out of that sentence will not take place until the Lord returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. Uh, so today, Satan still has that position as the ruler of this world. You know, why is there so much misery? People have a question about this. Why is there so much misery and so much suffering on the earth today? Well, it's because it's under the evil ruling of one who has rebelled against God. There is another will in this universe that is opposed to the perfect wonderful will of God, and that is the will of Satan, and he is the ruler of this world. Now, it's true, God overrules what Satan does. He is over all, but that's an indirect overruling. The direct ruling of this world is still in the hand of Satan, and God wants to use us as the believers to put an end to his evil ruling and bring in his kingdom, his ruling over the earth, which will take place during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. That's when the whole world is going to see uh, what it is to have Christ as a direct ruler, ruler of the world. And then it will be uh, a time of unspeakable blessing as opposed to this enormous suffering. You know, why are there so many people on the earth today who feel no one cares for them? They just feel persecuted and, and, and they go through so much suffering. Well, it is true. Um, they are suffering in such a way. And that's because uh, Satan is ruling uh, on the earth. And we're, so in a very real sense, we're behind enemy lines because we're living 
as those who are opposed to uh, the ruler of this age. Now, I, want to, uh, I should add here, there's another title that Satan has. Uh, in addition to being the ruler of the world, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul calls him the God of this age. Now, that's not a rightful title that Satan has. That's an evil title that he has gained for himself by deceiving men into following him and to living as though all that matters is this present age. All that matters is, the, I just want to enjoy my life on this earth today. I want to get the blessings the, the world can give me. For, these kinds, for this kind of person, in a very real sense, their God is Satan because they're living in his world system and living for the sake of his world system. Right? And that's why Paul calls him the God of the sage. And that title he has as a usurpation of the rightful God who should be receiving the worship of mankind. But in many cases, it's not because as people live for the good of this present age and spend themselves to gain the blessings and the benefits of this age, then they're really, in a very real sense, they're really worshiping Satan. So God, that's why the Apostle Paul calls him the God of this age. So, uh, as I say, as the believers in Christ, we're those who are living behind enemy lines. But we need to be clear about this. We need to have a clear view of this. And that's why I wanted to spend a little, a little time uh, kind of explaining this situation on the earth. Uh, this one is in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter um, 10. Uh, and this is when Daniel is uh, just, uh, fasting and praying for the sake of his people. And because of this, there was a scene that was open to him in heaven through a vision that he received. Uh, eventually, after a long time, the uh, a, a being comes to him, and it's very hard to identify who this one is, who who it was who came to Daniel. So I don't want to try it. I don't think you can really say definitely. But this heavenly being came to Daniel, and he said to him, he said, oh, this is Daniel recording the vision. He says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. He said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So I won't read the whole chapter, but that's in Daniel chapter 10. What this is showing us, and again, there's not much explanation, but it's showing us there is a heavenly conflict. And in our prayers, we are fighting that conflict and we are standing with God's will on the earth because there are these beings that want to oppose God's will. And so by our prayers, we need to stand with the Lord and we need to let him know that we stand with his will. That's why in the Gospel of Matthew that talks about the gospel of the kingdom, it teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done. Your kingdom come as in heaven, so on earth. God needs to know that there are some who are standing with him for his will to be done on the earth today. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's when we're standing for the kingdom. That's, we don't see ourselves this spiritual conflict that takes place in the heavens when we're praying. But it is there. The Bible is letting us know that it is there and that we have to fight this battle. That's in the Old Testament. There's a couple of other places too in the Old Testament. Uh, but and when you look at the New Testament, uh, in, uh, well, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, 
you know, we preach the gospel uh, and, uh, and we hope people get saved. But we have to realize who we're fighting against. And uh, we've already, re already referenced this Bible before, a little bit before, but let's talk about it in a different way right now. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us uh, in verse 3, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled in those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. So this evil being who opposes God's will is fighting that God's will would not be carried out on the earth today. And when we preach the gospel, we have to realize that's who we're fighting against. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, verse 12, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the, wickedness in the heavenly places. So that's what we are fighting against as the believers in Christ. And we need to have a clear view of this to realize we stand for God's kingdom on the earth. And for that, we have to be under the heavenly ruling. We could never carry out this struggle on our own. We have to be those who are living under the authority of the heavenly king. So that's why we preach the gospel of the kingdom, to bring people out of Satan's authority into the gospel of the kingdom so that the kingdom of God can be established on the earth today. That's our hope and that's our prayer. And we need to pray for this gospel of the kingdom to go forth. And the fact that it is going forth is a strong proof that the end of this age is getting close because Jesus said, as we said in Matthew 24, verse 14, when this gospel is preached, then the end shall come. So let's stand for God, uh, for the gospel of the kingdom and stand with him for his kingdom on the earth today. That's all we have time for. Thank you so much for being with us. And as the Lord allows, we hope to be with you again next week. Praise the Lord. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.